0: All right. Um, I know I've already hit the record button, but just just before we get started, does anybody have anything they need to share, prayer request or anything urgent? Um, if so, do do that. If, if you don't share it, then you can always text me personally or the group. Um, but anyway, so today we are in, in chapter five, um, and that's... Um, the heart of the gospel is, is the topic. Uh, um, quick overview of the book that we're, we're going through with Spurgeon, um, the gospel focus. Um, that's the key of the book, but he does it in about five things. He looks at, um, at, at, um, grace. He looks at who Christ is the Holy spirit, the, the role of those things, the role of the word, and then his heartbeat for evangelism. And so we've, uh, we've kind of looked at the word we've looked we've spent a couple of weeks in the uh, evangelist part and now we are um, we did a little introduction last week with the, um, the with with Christ um, and Jesus and um, and so we diving in a little bit this week and next week uh, breaking it into two parts one is going to be the um, person of Christ um, why did he have to be 100% God and 100% man and and then um, also what was the death on the cross, what, what did that accomplish and just chat about that a little bit. And then next week will be the resurrection and, um, and him being at the right hand of the father and and what's the significance of that. Um, so, um, let me see a couple things, a ton of stuff that we could cover. Um, but I think I want to, I want to open up with sharing something with you that, that over the last few weeks, I just, a, I'll give you a glimpse of it. Um, that's over the last few weeks really kind of shaped my way of thinking. Um, you know, I, I, think all of us as a Christian, we, um, we, um, are looking at ways to, to, I don't know if you'd call it go deeper with the Lord or to learn more about the Lord. Um, and so one thing about Spurgeon, uh, um, one thing I've liked about this book is that there is a lot of clips from ser- sermons that Spurgeon preached about, uh, preached from or, or clips from his preaching. And um, I went ahead and, and purchased all of his sermons or pretty much most all, all of them, um, that was actually preached from a pulpit. And so when he quotes a lot of those, I can go back and read them. And, um, you only got so much time in the day. So I've actually pulled up three that I've been focusing on. And, uh, I guess they're deep enough that I guess when I, I arrive with those, I'll, I'll find some more, but, um, it's been unique and a little bit sovereign how God has put these particular three together. And I want to, um, I want to give you three words this morning and I'll come back to this, but all many in world. And, um, and I, I want you We'll talk a little bit about how people, how the Bible uses the word "all," and how people um, it'll have a variety of uses, usages of "all," and people will push what they want to believe the Bible says um, by taking those words, "all," "many," or "world," out of um, out of context, and we'll we'll touch about that a little bit. But but one of the things that I I wanted to share, I actually had to draw a picture of it to sort through my mind but um but i know that this particular four section doesn't deal with the trinity but it's something that i've been thinking about a little bit and doing a little bit of research in it but um one of the ideas of the trinity is you know as we talked this morning about um, jesus being 100 percent man and 100 percent god and another thought that i have recently pondered is um when they asked jesus uh, to show them the father he said you've been this long, this long with me um have you do you not realize you know you've seen the father that i am the father if you've seen me you've seen the father and this this unity and this oneness and um i'm gonna try to get to this point i'm trying to say but but it starts with the trinity and mm-hmm. just as we're going to wrestle a little bit this morning first topic of how jesus was 100 percent god and 100 man um the uh, the idea of the trinity that there's only one God and there's three persons and then all the different language that goes with that. And just wrapping your mind and understanding that if you've seen Christ, you've seen the father, you've seen the Holy ghost, and they're all of, of the, of, of the same essence and some of these different things, but I'm, I'm just I, the, who can explain the Trinity like in two seconds, really clear. It's not me for sure, but my point is with the Trinity is I want to propel into something else, and it's the attributes of God. Um, I've heard people talk about the attributes of God over the forty years or so of being a Christian, but I can say that I haven't ever really, just really, dived into it yeah. like at the level of let's let's memorize the attributes of God. Let's um, make sure that I can explain the attributes of God. How many attributes of God is there? And so I've been venturing into that. Um, and I'm trying to navigate to to you why I did this, is one thing, the Trinity, and then the attributes of God. But then I'm going to break it down to one other level, is I started realizing in 40 years of listening to the gospel and going to church and hearing about the cross, that I always heard about the love of Jesus, the love of God, how he showed his love for you by dying on a cross and stuff like that. But I can say that it has been very limited, That people actually talked about the justice of God, how He is the the, He is um, the the justifier, or however it says it, He He's just and He's the justifier of of us. Uh, But but intermingling love and wrath, and justice and mercy is something that I found to be something that isn't normally done in the church. And I'm just giving that as a a very simple, simple um, example, as we seek to rightly divide the word, as we seek to evangelize the most effective way we can, as we seek to grow in our discipleship of ourselves or of others, if that's what we're doing with our kids or co-workers or whatever, as we seek to be the best disciple that we can be as we seek to be the best evangelist that we can be, as we seek to understand God's word the best that we can do it, this thing that I'm telling you this morning is helpful to help guide you to keep things in balance. Because um, while God is tremendously loving, if that's all we talk about, we will fail to warn people about the wrath to come. If 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 God is tremendously merciful, and we—that's all we talk about—will fail to tell about the justice that God will carry out. And so, I wanted to read um, a a quick thing, and and well, I I, I'm gonna try to be quick. Let's see, seven twelve. So I got like two minutes. Let's say. Um, I want to I want to read every sermon that I've printed out of three I've printed off it prints off in 10 pages I don't know if that's consistent with all the sermons uh, of of Spurgeon's sermons but I, I mentioned that because if we ever were to go through a sermon together that would be a proper way of of doing it print it off number the pages and say hey on page three this is this is where we're at but um but I want you to hear something um what Spurgeon does in his 181st sermon, he uses the text Matthew 20:28, 20, which um, which says, "Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give His life as a ransom for many." And he titles this particular redemption. And I maybe Tabbit getting ahead of myself. I don't want to jump from deity to um, the death of Christ, but I want to I want to get to this one point is so the first page he uh, he deals with um, how I mean, let me just read a few words of it so you can get the the feel of it. It says, when first it was my duty to occupy this pulpit and preach in the hall, my congregation assumed the appearance of a, a regular mass of persons collected from all the streets of the city to listen to the word. Twas then simply an evangelist preaching to many who had not heard the gospel before, but the, but by the grace of God, the most blessed change has taken place. And now instead of having an irregular multitude gathered together, my congregation is fixed as that of any minister in the whole city of London. I can from this pulpit observe the countenance of my friends who have occupied the same places as nearly as as nearly as nearly possible for these many months. And I have the privilege and the pleasure of knowing that a very large portion, certainly three-fourths of these persons who meet together here, are not persons who stray hither from curiosity, but are my regular and constant hearers. And observe that my character also has been changed from being an evangelist It is now my business to become your pastor. You were once a motley group assembled to listen to me, but now we are bound together by the ties of love. Through association, we have grown to love and respect each other. Now you have become the sheep of my pasture and members of my flock. And I have now the privilege of assuming the position of a pastor in this place, as well as in the chapel where I labor in the evening. I think then I will strike the judgment. It will strike the judgment of every person that as both the congregation and the office is now changed. The teaching itself should in some measure suffer a difference. It has been my want to address you from the simple truths of the gospel. I have very seldom in this place attempted to dive into the deep things of God. A text which I thought suitable for my congregation in the evening, I should not have made the subject of discussion in the place in the morning. There are many high and mysterious doctrines which I have often taken the opportunity of handling in my own place that I have not taken the liberty of introducing here regarding you as company of people of casual. Gather together to hear the word. But now the circumstances are changed. The teaching will be changed also. I shall not simply confine myself to the doctrine of faith. I shall now I shall I shall not stay upon the surface of matters, but shall venture as God shall guide me to enter into those things that lie at the basis of the religion that we hold dear. All right. Summary of that. I, w- I wanted you to hear that and kind of get your, get your feel of the language of Spurgeon and how he talks. But what happened here before he spoke particular redemption or, or talked about what he believes has happened at the co- at the cross, what he did, and this is, like I said, it's like sermon 181 that he preached. So however long that took for him to do it, two or three years or so. But what he does is I thought was extremely helpful. Spurgeon is one that we see that has a balance of both being an evangelist and a significant an evangelist and a significant pastor. Um, what he he gives us some wisdom here is how um, we evangelize with a simple message of the basics of the gospel, but that when God converts souls and they become Christians, that it that that at that point the pastor leads them to dive in deeper into, um, the truths of God. Um, so as he goes in, I just want to say this one thing, and I'm I'm just trying to lay the framework of how he did it. And, um, so that you, you hear what he said. Um, I'm just going to skip up to this one part. He says the doctrine of redemption, and I, I, we are going to talk about the deity, but I'm just Bear with me a second. The doctrine of redemption is one of the most important doctrines of the system of faith. A mistake on this point will inevitably lead to a mistake through the entire system of our belief. So here he makes a, a pretty pointed deal on page two as he starts his message that if, if someone makes an makes a error here, that um, uh see y'all hear me all right yes thumbs up okay um but if if um if we make an error here and so this is the reason i want to say that so i told you something about the trinity i told you something about the attributes i told you something about the cross if we focus too much on love or or wrath or justice or mercy and all that all of this is about bringing things in the balance and this balance it um is what Reflects the—I don't know if I want to say the ultimate truth, but the clearest per perspective of the truth. So I said all that to say this is what he does here in the doctrine of redemption. He gives the two viewpoints um, that are there. And before I talk about that, I'm beginning ahead of myself. What I want you to see is he gives five actual arguments to what he's trying to do, and I just want to tell you about the first three of them. The first three. Um, essentially talks about how bad our sin is. The second one talks about how, I like to say it in modern terms, how OCD God is about justice, that not one peccadillo of a, of, a, of a sin will be overlooked in his, in his justice. Um, and, and so when you're looking at how much he loves us and how just he is, it's important to see just how just he was and he gives some descriptive language there and then the third thing he talks about the suffering that Christ took outwardly and inwardly and the clip I want to read this morning is a little bit about the inwardly but all three of them he he interwoves them together to give you this higher view of what happened at the cross um, and and let me see I have one other piece but a higher view of what happened at the cross. So let me give you these clips and cause this, this is what I was trying to get to is, is, is what he says in his third point is he, or his second point when he's talking about God's justice, he says his love does not diminish his justice, nor does his justice in the least the, the um, decrease or i um, declare, I'm trying to think, declare warfare upon his love. No attribute so predominates as it cast a shadow on the other. And as we look at the book, there was one part, but this is the idea I want you to see, is that just as Jesus doesn't cast a shadow in any way on the Holy Spirit, And the Holy Spirit doesn't cast a shadow on any way in the Father, and the Father doesn't cast a shadow in any way on the Son, and that they 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 find a way to be in tremendous harmony and unity. And if you've seen one, you've seen the other. In the same way, that carries out to His attributes. That if you've seen God's justice it's not putting a shadow on his love. If you've seen his love, it's not putting a shadow on his, just, on his justice. And as you start, if you see his wrath, it's not putting a shadow on his love. And so this way of thinking calls you to drive accurately, deeply, deeper into knowledge and understanding of God by not favoring one thing or the other based on this basic rule that it cannot cast a shadow on anything else because that would create imperfection. Um, So let me just read a few clips um, from this, and and I'll I'll shut up and we'll we'll get into some discussion. But I I want you – Spurgeon was such a good – he was such a good writer, um, but I I, I want you to hear – and I've probably sent some of this out to you before, but I want you to hear just a few clips this morning um, from – and make sure I find it. That's the sternness of his justice. All right. So the first thing is on, on our sins, but I want you to hear this real quick. Um, all right. First, then we shall look at the redemption of Christ was no little thing. If we do, but measure it first by our own sins. My brethren, for a moment, look at the whole of the pit whence you were digged, and the quarry, whence you were home. Ye who have been washed and cleansed and sanctified, pause for a moment and look back at the former state of your ignorance, the, the sins in which you indulged, the crimes in which you were hurried, the continued continual rebellion against God in which it was your habit to live. And then this is one that really started making me think, and I hope it makes you think this morning, if you haven't, if I may have sent this to you, so you may have thought about it before, but I want you to think about our sin for a moment, and what was put on Christ at the cross, one sin can ruin a soul forever, it is not the power, it is not in the power of the human mind to grasp the infinity of evil that slumbereth in the bowels of one solitary sin. There is a very infinity of guilt couched in one transgression against the majesty of heaven. If then you and I had sinned but once, nothing but an atonement of infinite in value could ever, that's my place on. I'm sorry. Give me a second. I had, I had a phone call coming in and I, I looked up and lost my place. Solitaire sin, infinite, trans- against the majesty. It, there is a very infinite yet in the transgression against the majesty of heaven. If then you and I had sinned but once, nothing but an atonement of infinite value could ever wash away that sin and make sanctification for it. But has it been once that, that you and I have transgressed. Nay, my brethren, our iniquities are more number than the hairs of our head. They have mighty prevailed against us. We might as well attempt to number the sands upon the seashore or count the drops which in their aggregate do make the ocean as attempt to count the transgressions which we have marked our lives. Um, then he goes on and says a lot more other things, but I'm just gonna say about that, I can't say in 40 years of a Christian uh, being a Christian, I've really ever had someone talk at that depth about one single sin and just begin to just in quickly in a short parag- paragraph bring into account how, how great my sin is. Even if you're a pretty good person, this convicts you. Um, he, um, he goes on to say one other thing about this. He says, how great then beloved, must be the ransom of Christ, because this is what we're talking about, the atonement here. When he saved us from all these sins, the men for whom Jesus died, however great their sin, when they believe and are justified from all their transgressions, though they may have indulged in every vice and every lust which Satan could suggest and which human nature could perform, yet once believing all their guilt is washed away, year after year may have coated them with blackness till the sin hath become a double dye. But in one moment of faith, one triumph moment of confidence in Christ, the great redemption takes away the guilt of numerous years, nay more if it were possible for all the sins that men have done in thought or word or deed Since the worlds were made or time began to meet on one poor head, the great redemption is all sufficient to take all these sins away and wash the sinner whiter than driven snow. So here in this one issue of sin, um, Spurgeon opened the eyes of a person to see the gravity of their sin and the danger that they're in, but said Christ is sufficient to take it all away. You can't make the sin big enough to say God can't handle it. Um, And then the second thing, and this is the one that really impacted me, and I want to take the time to read a few thoughts about it. It's called, it's the second argument was the sternness of divine justice. Um, The part I had highlighted to read here was, um, you may say that the character of God is cold and stern. And this is when people are starting to see how how strict God is in justice. He said, you may say that the character of God is cold and stern and severe. I cannot cannot help what you say of it. It is nevertheless true. Such is the God of the Bible. And though we repeat it, it is true that he, he is love. It is no more true that he, he, he is loved, then he is full of justice for every good thing meets in God and is carried to perfection. While this love reaches to consummate loveliness, justice reaches to the sternness of inflexibility in him. He has no bend, no warp in his character, no attribute so predominates as to cast a shadow upon the other. Love have its full sway and justice had no narrow limit than his love Oh then, beloved, think how great must have been the substitution of Christ when it satisfied God for all the sins of his people. For man's sin, man's sin, God demands eternal punishment. And God had prepared a hell into which he cast those he die who die in penance. Oh my brethren, can you think what must have been the greatness of the atonement which was the substitution? for all the agony um, which God would have cast upon us. Um, Let me see. And then I just have one other point. So in the third argument, he talks about the suffering of our Savior. And he goes through a long history that that we all pretty much know as far as the external um, things that Christ went through. But I want you to hear what he says about the internal thing. He says, Believe me, brethren, that inward was far worse. What our Savior suffered in his body was nothing compared to what he endured in his soul. You cannot guess, and I cannot help you to guess what he endured within. Suppose for one moment to repeat a sentence I have often used. Suppose a man who had passed into hell, suppose his eternal torment could all be brought into one hour and then suppose it could be multiplied by the number of the saved, which is a number past all human enumeration. Can you think what a vast aggregate of misery there would have been in suffering of all God's people if they had been punished through all eternity and recollect that Christ had to suffer an equivalent for all the hells of all his redeemed. I can never express that thought better than by using the often repeated words, it seemed as if hell was put in his cup. He seized it, and at one tremendous drought of love, he draped damnation dry, so that there was nothing left of all the pains and misery of hell for the people ever to endure. I say not that he suffered the same but he did endure an equivalent for all of this and gave god the satisfaction for all the sins of his people and consequently gave him an equivalent for all their punishment now can you dream can you guess the great redemption of our lord jesus christ that was (laughs) a long time so i'm gonna shut up did I know I just did a lot of talking, but did anything stand out from there with with some of that classic work of Spurgeon, Mr. Wayne? You might be muted. I don't know if all the other guys are going to talk or not. I don't see no faces. So
1: I'm, any, I'm back. <laughs> any, any thoughts? Well, yeah. The more we reveal uh-huh. about the the uh, crucifixion, the more we understand how it is he, got Jesus took on all our sins. I mean, this was probably the latest thing we to try to grasp was that um, when he was quiet in his suffering, and didn't make any excuses. He accepted all the sins of of his people without question and accepted the pain he had to go through in order to be resurrected and, and prove that God would still redeem him in the resurrection. Yeah. All of are so meaningful. And we really have to
2: ponder it every
1: day and uh, be grateful every day. For Anybody else got any
0: thoughts that they highlighted or thinking about this morning?
2: It's hard for us to imagine the, the true wrath of God that Christ took on for his, his sheep that, um, you know, it was brutal and savage, the beating, the destruction that his body took. But I don't, I don't know that we can fully wrap our heads around Christ dying for all the sins that those would be called under his name and what that, what that had to, you know, feel like. I know we've, we've seen, we've seen reenactments, we've seen um, movies where, you know, Christ is on the cross and, as brutal and savage as the physical part of it was, what was the spiritual um, sentencing like on Christ? I don't know that we'll fully grasp that. I mean, it was, man. How how do you even depict that? And uh, it's um, it's truly amazing. Uh, you know, I, the scriptures that you read, um, all liars will have their part in the lake of fire, and um, you know. How many lies does it take to become a liar? I've, I've heard this in evangelism presentations, just one. You commit one murder, you're a murderer. And, um, you know, how many lies have each of us told in our whole life? How many um, adulteries of the heart have we committed throughout our life? And that Christ would die for, for all of our sins is amazing. But for, for the hundreds of thousands of his sheep, it's uh yeah, it's just a magnitude. That it's hard to wrap our head around. Yeah.
0: Anybody else? Shane, Rusty, y'all And still... I, I don't hear nothing, but y'all are muted. So I'll jump in if you. So y'all y'all talk over me if if you if you're trying to say something. But I'm gonna ask a few of these questions. Um, you know what what did the death of christ accomplished which that's kind of probably too big of a question but that's just to kind of get you thinking um but did it make salvation possible for all men and did it take um did it take the wrath of god for the sin god would show mercy to and 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 that's generally what we're looking at um you know I, i was thinking you know maybe next week with the revelation um with um resurrection we'll talk a little bit more about um you know you know the the act of becoming a christian and 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 when that moment is but when we're talking about the cross um we're we're talking about you know as far as the death on the cross we're talking about something a little bit different and um when, I guess, let me see, what, what, how does the death of Jesus on the cross justify God to show mercy to individuals that do not um, deserve it? So what we're talking about, and I'll just throw mine out there. And if, if someone disagrees and wants to, um, you know, point that out, that, that's, that'd be good. Uh, but but I, I think one thing we're going to need to think about, and this is why I went to the attributes of God, is um, So first of all, one of the attributes of God is that he knows everything at all points in time. He never learns nothing. So, so you know, depending on your teaching, you may or may not agree with this, but, um, but at the cross, God would have known every sin that you would do before, you know, he's always known every sin that you would ever do in, in your life. And and so if that's true, then what that means is he can take and he can put exactly the amount of punishment that your sins that you do in your life deserve upon Christ at the cross. And and that's not just for you. That's for everybody. And so. When you start to think through that and you move from a general atonement to a definite atonement, you start to realize that the wrath that God put on Christ at the cross was not a random or a general or a hypothetical or a great deal amount of of, um, wrath, but an actual very specific, detailed, maybe even borderline anal, peccadilla, down to the last T uh, amount of wrath, and that wrath will be poured out in general in two places. It'll be poured out on Christ at the cross, and it'll be pulled out, poured out to those that go to hell for all of eternity, and so when you frame it up that way, and if you can frame it up that way, if you don't have some belief system that, that, um, that causes a problem for you to do that, then what you see is some things is like, for example, when someone starts talking about um, losing your salvation, well, how would you lose your salvation? Well, you would have to walk away from God, or you'd have to create some sin, or whatever, X, Y, Z, you fill in the blank, but if God knows everything from the foundation of the world about the beginning of your days, the last of your days, your confession of him as Lord, and everything else you do in there, then at the cross, the positional time at the cross, he can assess whatever. He knows from all time who he's going to send to hell and who he's going to send to heaven. And at the cross, he can pour his wrath to all those that are going to be shown mercy on Christ at that moment in time. And then, you know, every else he he can wait until they perish and go to hell or whatever. So this, this is the dynamic of it. The equivalent to that is that Christ just makes a way of salvation and that it makes a possibility for, to be, for people to be saved. Um, and so that's a, you know, at, at that point, everything that happened at the cross has to be general. Um, they use the word intent and extent, um, and basically I was thinking about like this when you're dealing with intent and extent of the cross, it's kind of like if you remember when you would learn your your math, you know, addition and subtraction or multiplication and division, the teacher would usually tell you, if I guess your teacher said the same thing I said, that my teacher told me is if you want to know if you got the addition problem right, then you just subtract it. So two plus two equals four. Well, four minus two equals two. And if you get the same answer both ways, it's right, same way with three times three is nine but nine divided by three is three it's right so when you're talking about the intent and extent of the of the cross and you're talking about god this wouldn't hold true for us because we have things we intend to do and we don't fully 100 percent carry out the things that we intended to do but that's not the way with christ i mean with god whatever he tends to do he does um God would be imperfect, perfect in one sense, you might can navigate that with some complicated theology. But, but, um, but, but in general, what God intends to do, he does, when you look at creation, and he told the water to stop here and the land and the mountain and the, and the heavens and the earth to respond to his command and brought man out of out of dirt. He, he did what he intended to do. So if you want to know what God intended in cre- creation, then look at the extent of what, what he did. And the, the, the same way as the idea to bring this to the the cross is we know that not everybody is going to, is, 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 we know in the past, we know not everybody has been saved. We know in the present, we see great signs of not, everybody is going to, if everybody died tomorrow, we know some people that are not going to be saved. And we can assume from the present and the past that in the future, there's going to be some people that will live and die and they will not be saved. So if it was God's intent to save everyone, everybody would be saved and we wouldn't be having the conversation of why we have to share the gospel and all that, because he, he would do that. Um, So, as we face this, this matter of did what happened on the cross, when Christ said it is finished, what happened there? Was it just a way for everybody to be saved? And then if they um, believe and trust, um, or was he actually doing something significant? Did he realize who would believe upon him? What sins they would do? and And did he put the punishment of all those that he would show mercy and and allow entrance into heaven did he put the punishment for every sin that that they would do on Christ at the cross and you know the follow up question with that or the the co- the question that goes with that is is god still learning about your sin i mean i think we all agree that he knows all the sins that you've done You know, at your point in life and all the sins that have been done in the past, we don't think God has missed on that. But does God need to learn until the end of history what what people will do? What sins do they do? Or does he already know that now? Because that's an important part, because um, that's the only way that he could actually put all the all the wrath that would go towards the sins of those that he's going to to show mercy to. That's the only way that he could do that at the cross is to know that, Um, you know, because at the cross, if, if God doesn't know the future, then all the only thing he could have put at the cross is the, is the punishment for all those people that he, he had showed mercy from the cross to the beginning of time. But if, he does know not only everything up to present time, but also into the future, then he was able before we were born, he was able to put the punishment for every sin that we did on Christ at the cross. And and where this really the rubber hits the road is things like perseverance of the saints and losing your salvation. All of that goes out the window if you theologically, you know, believe this. If you think that this is the truth of the gospel then there's no question and the reason i bring it up is not to change anybody's opinion we can discuss it but 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 this is the thing in my 40 years of a, being a christian i have seen the the perseverance of the saints um and the idea that you can't lose your salvation and the idea of who you are in christ and how secure you are in him have become mute points because people don't talk about issues like this. But if we can talk about things like this, they don't have to be a mute point anymore. They can actually be like eternal security okay. is something people have as a feeling, not something that they can concrete conc- concretely communicate. So anyway, <laughs> Mr. Wayne needs to talk.
1: <laughs> yeah, please. Let me let me let me slow you down a little bit. Give you something to think about, and uh, it may help as you pray. You know, from now on, to help you to break break something down. Um, what frustrates me about uh, one of the the term salvation is that um, we think of God as making a hell or heaven decision based on your sin, but it's really based on your belief in Jesus. Now that's not a light term because belief means that you truly accept in your heart that no matter what sin you go through, um, um, Jesus will forgive if you believe that he can forgive and crucifixion and the, and the rebirth gives you hope of, of, of uh, sal- salvation, meaning, meaning that God... Won't condemn you to death just because of your sin, because if you believe in Jesus, even your future sins that you were just talking about that God knows you're going to do has also been forgiven, the penalty of death. But that does not relieve you from the penalty from the judgment. God is still going to tell you, teach you right from wrong, even even at the feet of Jesus when you're at the judgment seat. You're still going to know his righteousness and where you came short. But that doesn't mean that you won't go, won't be loved by God and accepted by God into heaven. It just means that you got to get yourself. G- Jesus is going to provide righteousness to you over over, your, um, over what is sin and what isn't sin and what you've done in your life that's right or wrong. That judgment is not a condemnation to death because you believe when you come to Jesus and you and you again bow to him and say you are my lord and your judgment is is my is on me and you accept his judgment and you accept what he's done for you then your sin is not going to cause you to lose salvation but if you deny when you die that Jesus is even there in front of you and that's that's the if you have no faith in Jesus that's, that's what decides whether heaven or hell, That's your salvation. But forgiveness is going to go on right through your day of judgment at the feet of Jesus. So you will still be judged and it still will be somewhat painful to say, oh, I've been wrong all these years. Lord, show me what's right and I will obey you. Uh, Jesus said, if you love me enough, you will obey my commands. But people use that term salvation forgetting that god is not going to say go to hell for your past or even future sins he's going to say go to hell if you don't believe in jesus He can't he can't even accept. It. that's that's damnation that's damnation is not judgment okay and anybody else rusty or
0: jeff
2: Yeah, no, there was there was a lot to um, unpack there and what both you, you men said. And, um, you know, I, I think when it when it comes down to it, do we believe in the sovereignty of God or do we believe in the sovereignty of man? And so meaning, is it is it man's choice to be saved? As you spoke about the atonement being a general sense, did he just make it possible for all men to be saved in that in that scheme? It would be up to man to say, I choose and therefore, I am saved, or is it up to God? Meaning, uh, before the foundation of the world, God made a choice. He made a selection. He elected men before His omniscience. I stood before the whole of Adam's race, and from it, He singled out a people and predestined them to be adopted as children. And so that that would be God making a choice. And you know, you'd mentioned too, Dennis, about the. Uh, the very uh, precise amount of wrath that was poured out on the sun. And that's, that's an attribute of God, his precision. Um, I mean, look, read through the book of Leviticus and look at how detailed he was about specific laws and specific judgments. Um, you know, that, that does speak to the attribute. And I do believe that there was a specific amount of wrath that was poured out on the sun. And, and why do I believe that? Because nothing, Nothing catches God off guard. Nothing's going to be a surprise to him. Um, if, if Dennis, if you or I or, or Wayne, if, if, if we sin tomorrow, God's not just sitting there going, oh, no, what am I going to do? Because I said he was saved, but now he's sinned and um, he's going to lose this. No, he knows yesterday, today and tomorrow. And so, um, you know, all, all that to sum up that um, God is sovereign. Um, he's made a choice. Um, he is the potter. We are the clay. And from the same lump of clay, he took vessels meant for wrath and destruction. And, from uh, the, the same lump he pulled and he said, vessels of mercy, uh, from Romans nine. Yeah. Well, um, Rusty, anything.
0: I heard something this morning. So, um, and, and so in, in, Mr. Wayne listening to what you you said um you know um there's I I wrote down um where certain things get blurred I just put blur we blur the lines but there's a difference between um what happened at the cross and what was accomplished at the death of Christ and 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 the moment we believe and confess on the Lord, you know, for the first time. And so we, the technical term, people call that soteriology and they'll call it synergism or monergism where the, where one will say that, you know, the, the, um, Spurgeon unpacks it in what he calls the type of the, the message is human inability, and he uses the, the, the key passage he uses. He, was, he, was, um, he often only used one passage, but he used John 6, which says, no one comes to the father uh, on the son unless the father draws him. And Spurgeon took on the idea that the first enactor of salvation was God, that if God didn't bring men to himself, then nobody's going to get saved. Um, So, so God is in control of the salvation of people. Well, we wrestle with that. Um, But, but what can help us with that is understanding what did he accomplish on the cross? And so if we, we got to ask ourselves, are we in balance or do we, or which one do we make bigger? If we make salvation as a choice or a faith or believing in God and then it's completely, um, at the end of the day, it it ends up with us, then that changes what we see happen at the cross. We see that God just made a way of, of, of salvation. And it may take a little bit of thinking to think through how catastrophic, if that was the truth, that is a catastrophic plan that the universe actually cannot be held together that way when you think through it thoroughly. Uh, because what that means is, after Christ died on the cross and made this way, it would be possible that nobody would have got saved because they wouldn't have chose God. And there, uh, you know, without diving into all of that, I've thought about it for years, and I've thought about it a long time. But it, but it, it, but but I would say this: it's difficult sometimes to process salvation in God choosing one and not choosing another and why wouldn't he give everybody a chance that is extremely difficult to process but when you look at it and you ask yourself what happened at the cross and you begin to realize that God knew everything at the cross. And if that's not true, if, if you can prove that, you know, that that's not true, that he knew everything at the cross of all of time, if you think God is still learning things and, and it's just unfolding and, and, and it's involved then, then, you know, you have, you have an argument if that's true. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't, I don't personally see. So, so, so my, 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 offer here this morning it's just for us to think about it um you know and I know I know where Jeff stands I kind of hear a little bit where you stand it would be good to know where Rusty and um and Shane and of course Mike and Keith and all them um stand but um but that's you know that's that's the reading um when you look at what Spurgeon has to say um What's what's what I rejoice in, and I think everybody needs to rejoice, depending on you know where you're at in your in your belief system, is that what Christ did on the cross was amazing. It it was awesome, and and if all he did was make a way for me to be saved, that's still pretty awesome. Uh, but I I think that the fact that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit was working in the plan of redemption at Christ, and that Christ Christ wasn't just, the thing about, I think about it when you say a general, if all that's true, that he just made a way um, to, um, for people to be saved, then what happens is God had to put a random wrath on, and, and I don't even know how you explain that. He had to put just a random, large quantity general. It could not have been specific because he wouldn't know how many people are going to be saved, how many, you know, how many people are going to believe and trust on him. And so I, I think that's really what it comes down to is at the cross, did God know everyone that would believe on him? Did he know every sin that they would do? And really, when you start thinking about God and what it constitutes to be a God, if he didn't know those two things at the cross, then to some degree or another, he's not God. You know, um, you know, and that sounds kind of harsh, but that, that's the only way I can say it to be pointed in blank uh, or pointed about it is that that um, that when you compare a God that didn't know the future sins or who our future, who would trust and believe on him to a God that knew it, you know, which one's bigger. Um, now the one that's bigger might be wrong, but, but, you know, you know, if you, I, I heard it said like this in a philosophy class one time, it said, if you can imagine a God bigger than the God you're serving, then your God, your servant is not, it's not, a God um, that's just a secular philosophy thought but I think our God is bigger than that. I don't think I think he's bigger than any secular thought. I think he's beyond our imagination and we can't comprehend it, it, whenever we think about how good or great he is, he's he's gooder or greater if that makes any sense than that. Our, our imagination when it soars up to the heights of heaven to the best we can, He's still higher and he's still bigger and better than that. So I know that's a lot to think about, Mr. Wayne. And you
1: said, um, you well, said he was going to slow me down. Um, and let me, I, offer, I like, let me offer one more clarification. Um, but you're covering so much territory that it gets complicated. Yeah. That's mean, what I was going to say. Chosen or not chosen is another wholly different subject from salvation. And, um, um it's it's a it's a process uh god knows when he created everyone by the by the parable this parable of the seed he knows that he would sow seed give souls made in his image into the into human beings for growth for for for, uh for to, to become his children but um Believe, but they he knew that some would never believe he is real. He exists. Atheists, put it that way. So, like when you um, when 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 you talk about these things and you think about your salvation, do you, can you ever imagine not believing in God? You yourself, can you imagine never believing in God, or or suddenly not believing in he, that He exists? that would be the only now if you believe he exists and then god says if you believe in my son's power to forgive that is salvation after that how well you live how well you change from learn to hate sins you used to do all that growth that you're going through that's just preparing you for judgment but not for salvation if you believe in him god's going to do what he can to Help you to believe in His Son and believe that He loves you. But some people won't never believe. My nephew is a confirmed atheist, and until I mean, I've heard plenty of stories of atheists changing. But until God changes their their uh, foolishness and saying God doesn't isn't real, until that changes, sal- uh Judgment is not important because salvation is already established. If you don't believe in me, you got to, You're not coming into my house. Yeah. Well, look, it's um, it's eight o'clock. Um, I'm gonna
0: give Rusty one more chance if he if he wants to jump in. But
1: um, let I, me I, let me one more quick thing. Let, let me tell you, I'm planting seed for your prayers. Not not trying to tell you anything you don't already know. I'm just giving you food for thought, is all. Just sharing with you but but i will say
0: this um so when we navigate in this territory it's a, it's a tough topic um, um i did cover a lot of territory i didn't do some of the things but um is that we had planned but um but 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 what i was trying to lay out is 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 extremely exciting if Christ took every sin you would ever do on the cross before you was born. And, 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 and what you've done, uh, Mr. Wayne, is you really haven't directly addressed that issue. And you went into kind of a secondary issue about salvation, because what you didn't address is did Christ, you know, and, 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 and sort of specifically how that happened. And so some of the things that I read about um, Spurgeon, some of the things that are in the book are actually saying some specific things that happen at the cross. And that's what I think that we've got away from and we've got into certain generalities. And, you know, like I said, it is different. You can draw a line between what actually happened at the cross for you. Um, and, and, And I think that simple statement, did it make? Did the when Christ said it was finished, did it make um salvation possible for all men? Or did he know who he would show mercy and allow into heaven and actually take the punishment of every one of those people that would go into heaven? Did he take the actual specific down to the, the, the last little bit? Did he take that punishment? And, you know, and, and that's really, you know, it's not really a salvation issue. It's a, it's a, it's an actuality of what happened on the cross. You know, did he make a way or did he actually take, because you can't have both. If he just made a way, then, you know, he he just took this general um, punishment. He didn't take the, the actual punishment. For all those that would like in, in eternity future, when everybody's in heaven, and um and they they are there, can we look to the cross and say He took every um, He took the wrath for all the punishment that was due my entire life and everybody there there, and that that's that was really what the the redemption question was, and I I know that. We have a lot of, you know, theology and religion and whatever, and we jump off into different things. But but that's that's the question, you know, to to, to focus on. Rusty, still nothing. I see you muted. I guess you're just listening. Um, Let me pray for us. I see Jeff ran off, jumped off. Dear Lord, I thank you for this morning. I ask you to just be with us. I ask you to open our eyes, our ears and our heart. And Lord, we're just seeking you. We're looking to know you better, to um, understand you better. We're we're looking to worship you better. We're looking to love you better. We're looking to know how much we're loved by you, Lord. We're looking to know um, how secure and safe we are in you. And so, Lord, I just ask you, Lord, that we would never be a, a Bible study or a Zoom call, camp meeting, getting together, that we would tear one another down. But that we would encourage one another, that we would be iron that sharpens um, one another. Ask you to be with our hearts, our minds, and Lord, we we know that if you're living in us, that that um, we can't. It's impossible for us to to actually cling to to false teaching because you are our shepherd, and we know your voice. And when you call upon us and call us out. You convict our souls, our hearts, and you guide us in the way that we should go. So, Lord, I just ask you that you would um, put a hedge of protection around everything that that was said this morning. And that you would you would It says, Jeremiah, your promise of Jeremiah, 31, 31 to 34 and, 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 and spoke about in Hebrews 8, 8 through 12 says that that you will will teach us that you will write your law in our hearts that you will guide us through it but lord as we've said in first Thessalonians 5 6 it says to stay awake and not fall asleep we know that the devil is working um, behind the scenes to follow us to put us asleep, to not focus on the richest truths that you you've um, given us and embraced us with so lord that's all we ask this morning we know we are finite people, we don't have it all figured out, and we're still so imperfect, Lord, but Lord, we come this morning on this Lord's day to honor you, to glorify you, and to ask you to lead and guide us, and so, Lord, I lay this difficult topic down. I ask you to give us a hunger and a heart to, um, to pursue it the way you would have us, and whatever these men here in this group are looking for answers for from you. Whatever thing that you're probing on them to do, because now is, is the time you want them to serve and be obedient in a particular task. Lord, I just ask you, Lord, the Holy Spirit, that you would work in each and every one of us, that you would engage us, that you would guide us, that you would, you would move us along the way of honoring and glorifying you with our gifts and our talents. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, All right, Mr. Wayne. Good seeing you. Good seeing you. Um, we have to get lunch one day if you want to. Um, you you always right there in that area. Always, yeah.
1: Just ask. Uh, I'll meet you anywhere. Bye-bye. Where
0: Where are you? Um,